0: Hey there, thank you so much for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. I'm Burke Allen in our studios here in Washington, D.C. with Allen Media Strategies. And thank you to SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau, for sponsoring our Big Time Talker podcast. We have new episodes every Tuesday at all your favorite platforms, iHeart, Spotify, iTunes. Be sure to uh, sign up and subscribe for the Big Time Talker We work with a lot of authors, from New York Times' number one bestsellers to to folks that just want to chronicle their life history. Everyone, I've been told, has at least one book in them, because everyone has a story to tell. And my friend Andy Simmons helps the best of those authors to tell those stories. He's the publisher and CEO of Ballast Books, and he joins us from his offices in sunny South Florida to talk about books and publishing. Hey, my friend, how you doing?
1: Hey, Burke, how are you? It's great to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. So when you and I first met, we met because you, in fact, are an author. So let's start there and talk about your books.
1: Yeah, so that, that's right. I actually first came to you, oh, about 10 years or so ago, um, as I was getting ready to publish my first book, My Father's Son, and, um, and I knew next to nothing about publishing at that time, uh, but I learned a lot quickly. Um, in going through the process of publishing my own book, I tried to get the traditional deal. I looked into self-publishing, um, I ended up finding a, a hybrid publisher, uh, which is where I ended up publishing my father's son and my next book, Enemy in the Wire. And I actually ended up going on to work at that publisher uh, as the vice president of acquisitions and business development once I uh, I guess kind of self-taught myself everything that I thought there was to know about the different types uh, of publishing. So yeah, I, I initially when I was when I was uh, when I was publishing my first book, that was when I was in the market for a, a great PR firm, and I came across you, and we met, and um, we've been working together ever since.
0: I guess that probably was about ten years or so ago now. Time does fly when you're having fun, and that's part of the reason why. We love working with authors because every story is unique and different. There's no way to to do a McDonald's version of of public relations to help get the word out about books. Um, what made you think all those years ago that that you had a book in you? And and talk to me a little bit about the writing process for your first book.
1: Yeah, well, ever since I was able to hold a pen or or climb up on the chair in my dad's office and bang away at a, at a keyboard, I knew I was going to be a writer. Everyone knew I was going to be a writer. From when I was a little kid, that was uh, what I loved to do. So writing just came natural to me, reading and writing. Um, and I did play a lot of sports as a kid, but if I wasn't playing sports, I was reading or, or writing short stories, writing poetry. Um, we actually, a few years ago, found the first novel I ever wrote, very short, we call it a novella, um, called the Adventures of Ricky and Jimmy. I- I'm not sure how old it was. Us- <laughs> yeah my my mom found it in uh, in our basement in an old trunk. The Adventures of Ricky and Jimmy. So, um, that was just something I always enjoyed doing. So the writing pro- the writing process, and I still to this day, you know, e- e- even since I've started Ballast Books and Blue Balloon Books, and and you know, m- most of my day goes to running those two book imprints. I still write one book every, every year. And that's the easy part to me um, is, is the actual writing. It's the rest that I had to figure out from, you know, you start with, well, where do I get an ISBN and do I need to copyright the book and how do I market it and where do I print it? Well, what's standard formatting for a layout? Well, how do I do an ebook? And, and you just, there's literally a million questions like that that you have to figure out. Um, So the writing part was, was not the challenge for me. It was now that I've written a manuscript that I finally felt like I was ready to really put in the effort to try to publish. What do I do now? And that was querying agents that was at the time it was create space on Amazon and a few other smaller self-publishing platforms doing all my legwork and investigation into, into those uh, those options. And then looking into, into hybrid publishers and what exactly was a hybrid publisher in 10 years ago was a lot different. Even, you know, the, the industry has evolved a lot since then. Um, and so that was the challenge for me was figuring out, now that I have this manuscript that, you know, I'm I'm pretty proud of, um, I want to get this out. Now what do I do with it?
0: There are a gazillion details when it comes to publishing books. And Andy Simmons is our guest today. He's the publisher and CEO of Ballast Books and their children's imprint Blue Balloon. Um, and, and I wonder when you know, authors approach you or approach one of your acquisition editors with with uh, in the publishing house, what are you guys looking for? Are there certain genres or types of book that that ballast looks for or specializes in?
1: Yeah, we get that question a lot. Um And if you look at you look at our backlist and our and our forthcoming titles, for that matter, we do work with a lot of veterans, um, but we are not a military or a veteran focused publisher. It just kind of so happens that those are some of the really, uh, really great books that we've worked on. Um, But we work with a lot of business people. We you know what we what we tell people is there's no genre or demographic that we are looking for books in. We're looking for interesting, innovative storytellers who have something important to say. Um, That's really what it boils down to for us. Is this author, does this author have something interesting to say that people are going to want to hear? Um, We don't necessarily, and and people ask us too, if we are aligned politically one way or the other. Um, And the answer is no, we aren't. We want, we think that everyone should have a voice. Um and we're happy to um, you know we're happy to help people from from both sides of the aisle get their messages out as long as it's done in a a tasteful um and intelligent way and so those are the authors that that we're looking for and those are the authors that we work with and we just and for a very selfish fact that those are the most successful projects authors who are willing to get out there and market themselves and work with a firm like alan media strategies and and you know you work obviously with quite a few of our authors um, and those are the authors that ha- the, whose projects have the most success. They sell more. Now, it's not just about selling books. Um, that's a big part. Of course, we want to sell books. We want our authors to make as much money as possible. But it's about you know before uh, before this this podcast started, you and I were talking about one of our mutual off- authors, um, Eric Beer, the the author of Ghosts of Baghdad, and a, a signing that he's doing in Pensacola. Um, those events and and doing public speaking and getting more. Um, getting more business, establishing themselves as subject matter experts. Those are the ideal authors for us who look at a high quality, fully distributed book as kind of part of their overall platform um, to help brand them and brand whatever it is that they do and whatever genre and whatever their background is. So as long as it's an interesting story um, and they have a, um, you know, they have a, a good message and a reason to publish, we'd love to work with those type of authors.
0: And lots of times with authors it is about extending their brand or uh, or helping get a message out and and i love the thing you said about uh, how ballast you know you do look at all submissions it doesn't have to be politically left or politically right it doesn't have to be a military book but i i guess it is important for authors to really understand if their work aligns with with the the publisher's focus, because I guess you guys are rather unique in that way and that, that you don't have a particular skew, but lots of publishers do, correct?
1: Yeah, they do. We hear that a lot. I mean, look, I think that most people know that, you know, the big traditional houses in New York, they skew a certain way. um And we've had some really big authors come to us who had, who maybe started and got a big, big deal, a uh, big traditional deal with the New York house and realized that, that the people working on their book maybe didn't align with their values or their message. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that everyone at Ballast Books, you know, every editor or designer or production editor, whoever is going to completely agree with the subject matter of every book. It doesn't matter, though. Um, We're here to do a job. We we, even if we you know, if there's a, a subject matter that we don't that someone doesn't completely agree with, that's fine. That's, you know, that's the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be able to have, you know, dialogue. We're supposed to be able to, to disagree and have conversations. And we realize at the end of the day. And you know, that's the other difference between what we do as a hybrid publisher. Right. I tell potential authors this and 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 people all the time that, you know, if you get a traditional deal with Simon and Schuster, right, they're paying you for the rights to your story. You work for them at that point. When you publish with Ballast, we work for you. Um, it's a, it's a small, but important distinction. Um, and we recognize that now our authors come to us because of our expertise in publishing. So they take our advice, whether it's, um, you know, trim size or what should be on the cover or specific edits, but it is collaborative. It's back and forth. And ultimately, you know, our, our job is to, is to guide our authors, um, to help them meet their goals. But at the end of the day, it is their decision on For example, if they want their image on the cover of the book, rule of thumb is we don't generally put pictures, photos of our authors on the front, on the cover of the book, unless they're well known. We're doing Mike, the situation's book right now from Jersey Shore. Um, His face is prominently featured. In fact, it's, it's pretty cool design. It's half of this. He's, he's really lived two lives. This is now he's gotten sober. He's a different man. And so the, the, the image on the cover is half his face from when he was, you know, that, Jersey Shore guy going out every night and and you know taking home a different girl every night, and who he is now a sober family man, but there's a reason that his image on the cover he's very recognizable so um but we have had authors who, for whatever reason um they have uh they want their image to be on on the cover and and so um we make that happen for them i mean if it's look if it's something that's completely outside of the norms and is going to really hurt the project. Um, you know, we might have a, a longer conversation about it, but at the end of the day, we do work for our authors. They're hiring us to help them produce a high quality book available everywhere the books are sold as we like to say. Um, and you know, that's, you know, that's the distinction. So we don't have to, you know, we aren't trying to guide them or their message in, in either direction. It's their message. We recognize that you as the author, it's your message. We're here to help you articulate that message and get it out to the world um, as concisely, eloquently, and clearly as possible. It's not our job to frame your message at all. And, and that's just, again, that's a little bit different different than with a traditional house where they've now purchased the rights to your work. So they want it, in most cases, they want it to fit within a certain talk track.
0: So I, I'm writing down a couple of the the industry terms that you're using because a lot of folks who are listening to the Big Time Talker podcast may not be familiar with them. Um, And I also want to let you know, Andy, I I took some questions from authors in advance, so I'm going to try to ask Mm -hmm. as many of them as I can as well. Andy Simmons is our guest today, uh, the publisher and CEO of Ballast and Blue Balloon Books. Uh, The one term that you've used a couple of times is a hybrid publisher. Could you define that for everyone?
1: I can give you my definition of it. Um, All right. I I don't think that there is a widely accepted definition, or I think that a lot of people in the industry, I think that they have their own, um, you know, there's nuances to it. So to me, what hybrid or means or means independent, um, the reason I use the word hybrid is because it's a hybrid of the two more well-known types of publishing, which are traditional, meaning that a publishing house, in most cases, gives you an advance in order for the rights to your work. And then they fund production. They're the ones doing the edits. They're the ones creating cover um, based on what they think is right. Now, you know, um, Michelle Obama, uh, Prince Harry, they probably get a good amount of say as to what, you know, what the content is of their book. But, you know, when you think about it, those publishing houses are spending millions of dollars. Um, They need to make sure they're recouping that money. So if they say that, you know, a... Uh, Prince Harry, your book—I know it was came in 120,000 words. You have a lot that you want to say, but our marketing, our our you know case studies or whatever show that um, that a, a book more than 90,000 words or 288 pages is is not going to sell as well. Um, we're going to have to edit your book all the way down to that, just because we have to be completely focused on on sales. Um, and so there's pros and cons that come with. Uh, obviously, with traditional, with first and foremost, financially, for some authors, um, they, they get their they get an advance. They're not funding
0: production, and that's important to them. Now, the complete- let me jump in there real quick and, and ask you yeah. on those advances. What I'm hearing a lot from the authors we work with is the days of the really big advances. Unless you're a superstar celebrity, right. are pretty much gone. Though, even with the big publishing houses, is that what you're hearing too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the traditional world has been sh- every year shrinks further and further down to where in reality, they aren't interested in content. They aren't interested in how good a book is. They're more interested in, uh, someone's social media following or their curating. Um, right. again, you look at, you know, you look at, uh, you look at, uh, Simon and Schuster, just, you know, naming one of the, one of the big houses and you look at their, um, You know, you look at their list and it's it's mostly people who are celebrities, Um, whether they have something important to say or important story. I I don't know. You know, I always kind of joke. But it's the truth is that, you know, I don't know that like catcher in the rye. Would be published today, certainly not traditionally, which is a terrifying uh, thought. I mean, JD Salinger, he—if Instagram was around in his day, I don't think that he would have been much of a social media influencer, considering that he did not like the the you know to be in the public eye at all. Um, so that's more with what what New York and the traditional houses are interested. They're, in.
0: They're looking for the Britney Spears book.
1: They're looking for the Britney Spears book. And, and look, hey, the Britney Spears, she, she's she been through a lot, right? I'm not saying that that she doesn't have a very important story to tell. She absolutely does. And that's why they paid big bucks for, for, for the Britney Spears story. Um, our authors want to have a little more control. I mean, obviously, the situation, you know, Eddie Gallagher, another one of our authors, um, Peter Weber from Bachelor, just naming a few, they had or could have New York deals, but... Um, what they like about our process is the is is the how we um, again as a hybrid combining traditional and self publishing and what comes with self publishing is control. Um, you maintain all rights to your work and you have control of everything from editing to cover. You know we're doing the work on your behalf, but but you as the author have final approval on everything. Um, and I can just talk about you know Mike's cover. Um, we love the way Mike's cover turned out. Um, we went through several different iterations and he was very, very involved saying I don't I don't like that aspect i I you know we can just throw that one right out. Um, okay, great, absolutely that you know you don't like that we're gonna'll we'll, we'll go back to the drawing board until we found a, you know we create, our designers created the cover that he absolutely loves. Um, I don't know that that necessarily happens in, in the traditional world, but with with self-publishing, you're doing it yourself, right? So um, not only are you, you know, do you have final say over, over cover? You're actually finding, I mean, assuming you can't do it yourself, you're finding a designer yourself and you're telling them what you want for cover and interior design and everything that goes along with it. So um, I know this is all to answer your question about what hybrid publishing is. So to me, hybrid is taking the best of both of those worlds. So we provide all the same services at the same, with with the same level of skill um, and professionalism as the the big new york houses, um, but with the same financial model and rights structure as self publishing um, and what that means too is you know obviously it makes sense if if our authors are funding production of their of their work and they aren't getting advances, then they get the lion's share of the royalties uh, as well so that could be as much as hundred percent of royalties usually it's an 80-20 split though we keep twenty percent and they keep 80 percent of royalties so Um, For people, you know, for people who have a really good social media following, um, take Britney Spears. Would she have actually made more money if she had gone to a a hybrid publisher? Probably because she's the one selling that book. She's the one who has spent 20 years creating a huge fan base and millions of followers on social media. Um, Her publisher didn't didn't do those things. And so, uh, you know, she she would you know she would be making a lot more per sale if if she hadn't gone the traditional route. We're just seeing more and more, more and more people do that. So again, as the traditional the traditional publishers shrink and the number of authors that they sign, um, you know they've they've limited who they're looking for. It's just to the. You know, it's to our benefit and we get some just wonderful authors who, you know, 10, 15 years ago would have definitely had, would have gone
0: with the big traditional New York house. So, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it sounds like with hybrid publishing, at least the way that Ballast Books does it, um, the author has skin in the game, certainly, but you guys have skin in the game too, right? So it's there's an upside for both of you if the book does well.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, It's, you know... our success is our author success. If our if our authors do not succeed, we do not succeed. Now, the definition of success for us is different than the def, slightly different than the definition of success for again a big New York house because it isn't just about book sales with us. Again, that's a very important element. Someone we spend a lot of time um, and resources on with a, with a very big marketing department, with public relations, with usually with you guys because you guys do Thank such you. a great great job. Thank you. Um, Um, but that's, um, you know, that's whatever our, if the first question that we ask our authors is when we start working with them is what are your goals for publishing? What does success look like for you in one year? Um, and so that's how we, you know, that's our skin in the game is have we, have we helped our author achieve their goal? Is that to do more, to give more talks, to bring, um, bring awareness to, PTSD or veteran suicide or to, um, you know, to highlight a a story that uh, where an injustice was done or to sell a lot of books, whatever it is, you know, we, that's our goal. That's our job is to make sure that our authors um, that, that they, they meet whatever their definition of success is. Um, And so, yeah, we absolutely have skin in the game because we fail, if if our authors fail, that means that
0: we have failed. So, Andy, uh, you know, knowing how to submit a manuscript for a book and and what you guys expect in that submission package is, is pretty crucial for authors. So, for Ballast books, and I know you can't speak to the whole industry, or maybe you can. Maybe you can give me some guidance. But what is your submission process like, or, or you know, what do you think most folks are looking for specifically in terms of submission guidelines? How does it work?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, um, and I can speak in general to the industry. Then I'll tell you about ballast. Exactly. In general, um, in the industry, historically, it's been pretty simple. And in fact, I know this is actually I started doing it before there was Google. Um, You're dating yourself, but yeah, like I I can remember the early two thousands coming home and actually calling in the afternoons, calling agents in New York, trying to pitch myself and physically mailing out queries and pitches. Um, But now if you Google, you can find, you know, you can find some pretty explicit instructions on exactly what, you know, agents are looking for and publishers are looking for. And in general, you need to put together proposals, very specific things you need to put in the proposal. First, you need to have it. First, you need to query an agent. Um, Very few traditional publishers are going to take direct publishing proposals from an author they need it from an agent
0: they only um, want to talk to the agent they don't want to talk yep, to them.
1: they only want to talk to the agents very difficult to get it. it's always been difficult to get an agent but it's even more difficult now i don't know what percentage of the industry was lost of literary agents over covid but it was a significant a amount yeah um so it's very very difficult to get an agent but so there's specific ways very strict rules as to how you how you try to move forward in the traditional world and if you're unknown it's Quite honestly, it's next to impossible, and and can take years. Um, and that, and on the complete other end of the spectrum, now we go to self publishing. There's much smaller barrier to entry, and there are some wonderful self publishing, you know, outfits out there. Starting with Amazon's KDP and, and IngramSpark, um, you know, if if you think you can go go about it yourself, and and that meets your needs, it's a there's almost no barrier to entry um, aside from cost. And, uh, and you can usually get a pretty decent prod- end product if you, if you know what you're doing and you're really doing your research and due diligence. Um, for us, we do not have a strict proposal or query process. We get them all different types of ways. And again, going back to, you know, one of your first questions, what are we looking for? It's, right. it, we want, if this, if this query comes across as being an interesting subject matter from an interesting person, um, you know, some of them even say, I, I don't have a manuscript. I don't have time to write the book. I don't have the ability to write this book. Um, I need a ghostwriter. We provide ghostwriters. We, we have a, an author coaching um, uh, process called six month manuscript, which is what it sounds like you as an author actually write the manuscript in six months with our guidance with one of our author coaches walking through the entire process. Um, so we're just looking for someone with an interesting story with good goals for their books in whatever format. You know, Sometimes you know, we have a, a forum on our website and just a, sometimes just a quick query. Hey, this is who I am. I have an idea for a book about this. I don't know where to start. Would you be interested in talking to us? And the answer is yes. That's what we do. We want. We talk to authors all day every day. We want to talk to authors all day every day. And and a lot of times we talk to them, and you know they tell us that oh you know my goal is to be a New York Times best selling author, and that's why I'm doing this. We say okay, that, that's a great goal to have. Um, I don't know that we certainly cannot guarantee that we can help you meet that goal. So maybe we're not the right pu- the right publisher for you. Um, but you know, it, it, obviously, as much information as we can have initially on the on the initial query, the better. But we're always going to want to have a conversation just to learn a little more, you know, a little more about the author, where they are in the manuscript, what their goals are for the book, and, and to see, you know, together if it could be a good fit uh, for ballast for Books
0: or Blue But Blue Clearly, book you Blue. guys decline a lot of stuff, though. I mean, I'm sure that you get pitched things where you just go, mm, there's no... There's no there there for whatever reason, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know exactly
1: what the percentage is. We have people ask us someday. I should probably go in and look and, and try to run the numbers. But, you know, it is a small, very small percentage of people that we do end up working with. It's rarely subject matter, though, where you say, no, this isn't right for us. I really look at what we do as, as you know, we're democratizing publishing. Um, so I don't look at something and and say, no, I don't think that's interesting or I don't think that's a good story. And even if I don't think it's interesting or I don't think it's a good story, this is subjective. That means that I, or one of my acquisitions editors, we may not personally think that, but somebody else does. Somebody else absolutely is going to. And, you know, our job is to help people get their story out to people who do want to hear about it. Um, So that usually isn't a reason that we won't work with someone. If, you know, as long as they, um, as, as long as they, editing for, for starters is something that we can't get around. You know um, most people understand that, Hey, this is a rough draft. I'm going to need some help and you guys are the experts and that's what I'm hiring you for. Sometimes right. we, will, we will run across people who think that, Oh no, this is you know the greatest manuscripts and sliced bread and nothing needs to be done to it. Um, you know, our name is on this book as well. You know, ballast books, blue Bloom books is on the spine. It's on the copyright page. It's going to our distributors It's going to our retailers. So it has to be an end product that, that, we're going to be proud of as well. So um, sometimes we do run into where, you know, if they're just not willing to be coachable or or improve things or take our recommendations that it's probably not going to be a good fit either. So there's, a, you know, there's a litany of reasons for why we, you know, don't work with most authors who we come in contact with. Um, but um, we, you know, we, we still wish them the best. And we still, you know, we point them in the right direction. If they, if it's, but, some people don't have budget we're not inexpensive. We're, you know, we're, we're a high end solution. Um, But like I said, there's some really good self-publishing options. And so if, if that's a reason that we're not going to work together, um, we're we're more than happy to point them in the right direction and, and help them with a, you know, it's one of the self-publishing outfits that I named, or if they do want to go the traditional route, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll show them how to write a query letter or I'll, you know, I'll tell them what that process is like.
0: You, um, Andy, you mentioned ghostwriters, and I always think that's an interesting concept. Um, Britney Spears, for example, that we talked about earlier, as an amazing life story, um, and and I was actually around for the very beginning of that. I remember being in uh, in Los Angeles in Santa Monica. I can remember exactly where it happened when her record company said, "Hey." Here's, you know, a CD and a picture of this artist we think is going to be big before anybody else had heard it. And, uh, and you know, 20 some odd years later, she had all these ups and downs. So she's lived that life. She may not be the best person to write it. Right. So she would team up with a ghostwriter and do what? How would that work for someone who's listening going, I've got an amazing story, but I'm not necessarily a great writer What's the nuts and bolts of ghostwriting? How does it really work behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Like uh, I'm sure that Britney Spears the ghostwriter can't sing or dance or the right. Britney Spears. Right. We all we all have our our areas of ex- expertise. And um, yeah, for those for those folks and those authors we work with who don't have an expertise in writing or know how to write a book, that's fine. Because you're right; they still have an important and interesting story to tell and so what the ghostwriter's job is is to pull that out of them and then write it in their voice and every single write ghostwriter author relationship is different the process is different okay. um, i can speak i can certainly speak in depth as to my process how i but even though even that being said it's different with with every single author um you know so mike sorrentino's book i I wrote that with mike um, and our process was we would do, and this is pretty similar for most of my writers, is that we sit first. We sat down for, I don't know, a couple weeks straight, and we went through his entire story, all the things that were important to him to be in the book. And he told me all these stories, just crazy story after crazy story of his life.
0: And did you record those, like on your phone, or what did you? Yep. Uh, yeah,
1: re- Yep. Yeah, record them. Record them on my phone. Um, they're you know phone interviews. Record on my phone. Then I upload it to the software I use. I use is called the script um, that then uh, transcribes it. And so now, and I'm taking notes all the time. So I have bulleted notes that I'm writing the the entire time we're talking. I have the recording that I can listen back to, and then I have the transcription of the recording. So when I'm writing, I have all those things open. I have multiple screens, and I have all those different things open, and I'm taking from all of them. Um, you know, if it's if it's you know, if I look at a note, it's a certain line that he said. Maybe I go back and listen to that line because even in the transcription, it does, if you just read a transcription, a line could could not stand out. It could almost seem insignificant if you're just reading it as in, as part of a conversation. But when you listen to it, you go. Aha! That's gold. We need that line in there. So, um, you know, that's that's the way that that's the way I do it. And we, you know, we would we would write one chapter a week. Then we'd review it together, um, edit. He'd have a ton of notes and things to add and take away, and I'd have additional questions. You know, I'm really big on on all five senses. Well, you know, what was the smell like when that car accident happened? You know, what were you hearing? What were you seeing? You know, all those things. Just adding in that different contexts to really make it kind of a 360 degree experience for the reader. Um, and while doing it in his voice, you know, um, uh, you know, Mike is a real easy one because I've watched Jersey shore a million times. So (laughs) uh, we all know what, you know, we all know what, what Mike Sorrentino, what the
0: situation sounds like. Yeah, Yeah. We know
1: what the situation sounds like. So it's, you know, it needs to, it needs to sound like him and it is, he said all these things he, you know, he said, he, you know, they come from him. It's not like a ghostwriter's job is not to is not to make anything up. is is It's not their job to even tell the story. I look at what I do as a ghostwriter as almost <laughs> like a glorified descript. Like I'm almost you know translating and transcribing what they tell me. Well, you know, having a good handle on what is interesting, what is the story, how do we structure the narrative, how do we structure the book? Um, sometimes there's you know there's flashbacks and there's other perspectives and things like that that. Um, you know, good ghostwriter is is going to incorporate. Um, and I, you know, uh, we have plenty of ghostwriters on staff. A lot of our books are ghostwritten and it's a pretty similar process. Um, I have one ghostwriter, and author coach who, you know, he spends a lot of time whiteboarding with the author um, before they even start writing, getting not just a table of contents, but, a, you know, just a, a huge outline of everything that's going to go on in the book. And then he just fills it in um. So everybody works a little bit differently, but really, what the you know what the ghostwriter's job is is to get all the information from the author, put it down in an, the most interesting way possible while maintaining the author's voice. That's the way I look at at a ghostwriter's job.
0: Andy Simmons is the publisher and CEO of Ballast Books and their children's book imprint Blue Balloon. So if if um let's say a children's author comes to you with an idea for a kids book for your your Blue Balloon imprint. Mm -hmm. Um, what is the, and maybe it's very different and maybe you can't tell me the specifics on this, but I'm going to ask the question because this was one that was submitted to me by email. What is the royalty structure like? Uh, and, and the author also talks about advanced payment policy for authors. You, You, we talked earlier about how even the big publishing houses don't do advances. I'm assuming with your publishing house with hybrid publishing, there is no advance, right? correct yes so
1: our financial model is more like self-publishing it's it's author funded um and like self-publishing the lion's share of the royalties go to the author um, yeah, in the traditional world, you're going to get usually even if an author does get an advance, if it's someone well known, very rarely do they get paid past that advance. And, you know, we work, I can't tell you how many authors that we've worked with who have done their second book they do with us, their first book they did with a traditional house. And they just realize that everything is stacked against them it's making any so- money. And, 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 and the traditional publisher making money. But again, that makes sense. The tradition, the traditional publisher is they're taking all the risk. 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 they're going out on a limb. They're fun. And that's why they are so selective. And they're so choosing why their algorithms internal algorithms have to be different because they have to recoup. Not only they have to recoup the money on your book, they have to recoup money on three other books that maybe didn't do as well. So, um, you know, that's, that's, what's important to them. Um, For us, that's, very important. We all want to, everyone wants to recoup and, and make money on the sales of the books. But again, so many of our authors are doing this where it's okay. If I get one public speaking engagement, if I, if I do a book tour, if I do a signing uh, a speaker's tour, um, you know, this is all worth it for me. It's, you know, it's to improve their Google ability, all, all these different things. Um, so it's, it's important to make their money back and make as much money on the book sales as possible, but there also are other returns on that investment. Um, but it is easy, easier for them to, to, to actually be profitable because again, and I'm happy to share the numbers. If a, if a, if an author sells a book direct, meaning they fulfill the order, they take payment, and we have authors that do this all the time, where they're doing, you know, they're they're going to a university, saying they're giving a speech um, to the faculty, and uh, and and the college is going to buy a copy of every book for each member of the faculty and give it to them. Um, the author. Actually, can can keep 100% if they're getting paid directly by the school as part of their speaking engagement, they, they keep 100% of those profits. Um, the worst case scenario, when, you know, let's say a Barnes and Noble sale, because that's going through us, the, the author never touches that book. We have a, a warehouse in West Palm Beach, it goes from our, our warehouse in West Palm Beach to Ingram in most cases. And then Ingram is shipping out to um, to Barnes and Noble or an independent bookstore, or we're fulfilling directly to Amazon, whatever it is. In those areas, whatever comes back, whatever Barnes and Noble pays Ingram, who pays us, uh, we keep twenty percent of that, and eighty percent goes to the author. So um, it's usually about reversed when you're talking about the traditional world. So um, the the royalties, the royalty structure. It only makes sense if you're investing in your project. It only makes sense that the royalty structure is designed to be in your favor.
0: So, so to be clear then, um, because I know this is important, you know, authors need to understand how they're compensated for their work. If they're with a hybrid publisher like you, like Ballast or Blue Balloon. Um, well, an example, a children's book author that, that we're working with that published a book with you um, is Larkin Campbell. And Larkin yeah. is a Hollywood actor who has written this book with his little Halloween girl. Harry yeah, yeah Halloween Harry I read, it, I, read my, <laughs> I read it to my daughter I
1: read it to my daughter last night and um she and we'd read it before but I she was just so enthralled with it again my 6-year-old my 3-year-old picks up all the time my 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 6-year-old was enthralled with it when we read it at bedtime again last night
0: I love it and, and you yeah. know it's during Halloween time you know Larkin is out at at all the the pumpkin fests and the trunk or treats and he's selling his book uh, there, and he, I know he did a big TV interview in Los Angeles that we helped KCAL. set up for Um yep. Uh, yep, KCAL. And so if if he is out at one of these events, he has, um, and correct me if I've got any of this wrong, I want to make sure I get this right for our authors who are listening, mm-hmm. he purchases copies of his book at a big, deep author discount from you guys and then sells them at retail at those events, correct?
1: So yes and no. He doesn't. He owns. You own all your inventory with us, so he doesn't actually have to buy any books from us. That's part of his. That's part of the the contract. So he doesn't actually have to go buy any books from us. He just tells us, and and he did. Hey, uh, I would like two hundred copies of my book sent to me. And so we have it in our warehouse. We fulfill that order. We send him two hundred copies of his book. And then you're exactly right. He's selling those on his own. He's collecting payment. He's signing it at events and fulfilling those orders, and he keeps 100% of that. We do not take any royalty from that sale. The only time we take a royalty is when we're actually fulfilling the order. So retail orders, um, we have people that order direct from our website, things like that. that's, That's the only time that we even take a royalty.
0: Or like if the Barnes & Noble store in Los Angeles picks it up and buys it directly from you guys or directly from your distributor, then you would have a royalty, but but you said that the, the author in this case gets a much higher royalty than you as the publisher. Correct. Yep.
1: Absolutely. And actually that Barnes and Noble in LA, the Grove, um, we are, uh, we have two books, uh, that we are shipping to them currently. Um, and they are, uh, or that they're, uh, a bulk order they place with us. And they're going through Ingram. Um, which is the they really have a monopoly on, on uh, wholesaling to retailers at, at this point. Um, and so whatever comes back from that sale. So Barnes & Noble, The Grove buys 200 copies of Book A from Ingram that we've right. filled to Ingram. They pay Ingram whatever they pay Ingram. Ingram pays us our, whatever's left, you know, our agreed upon fee. Uh, obviously, Ingram has to take some money for themselves. And then whatever comes back, 80% goes to the author and 20% stays with us as a distribution fee. And, uh, you know, that pays for, you know, our warehouse and our um, our manpower at the warehouse and shipping those books, postage and, and everything else.
0: Whereas if it's a one of the big five publishing houses that you referred to, the Random House, the Simon & Schuster and those guys, it will be a flip of that. The author would get paid out a 20 percent royalty roughly publisher would keep eighty percent um How often do you guys cut those royalty checks? How often does an author get a royalty Quarter- check? quarterly quarterly yep. okay
1: yep every three months we everything's on there direct bulk, retail um ebook, audiobook you know whatever format that that we've published in um they get their uh, they get their royalty report and check
0: every three months. So I did a lot of business traveling the last two weeks. And I was actually out with one of our authors doing signings in Chicago and a couple of other markets. And as well, I was schlepping through airports. I noticed that the big airport bookseller for years was Hudson booksellers and they're still out there, but it's now just a very small part of those Hudson stores. Now they're like airport convenience stores with a little book section, at least at the airports I was in and, and, you know, Barnes and Noble, there are a lot less of those after COVID and, uh, it's it's really kind of come down to the local mom and pop bookstores, and then of course, the five hundred pound gorilla is Amazon. So what what should authors know about how people actually buy books and how important distribution is to physical bookstores? What's left of them? Kind of give me the the fifty foot overview of Amazon and physical bookstores as you see it.
1: Yeah, look, the reality is the majority of books are sold on Amazon. And they are sold online. So even people that buy from Target or Barnes and Noble um, may do so online. Um, So that's just the reality at this point. Distribution and physical placement in brick and mortar stores is very important to our authors. um, And it's very important to us. And I would say that it's more important to us for the Cachet, quite honestly, in the ability and uh, or excuse me, the availability and seeing it on the bookshelf, it it adds just so much more credibility to the book and to the author than actual book sales. It's you know it it still is good revenue. There still are books sold in those stores, of course, right? Um, But it's I, I would say equal or if not more important, the reason that we focus so much on distribution. And placement in physical brick and mortar locations is because it's important to our authors to actually be in the bookstores. Um, again, we, you know, we talked a lot today about you know the definition of success and right. and how do we meet an author's goals. And for a lot of authors, having a having their book in the bookstore in a Barnes and Noble is is, you know, very important to them. So we work very hard to do that. We have a really good track record, um, especially in local stores, you know, getting um getting signings at, at an author's local Barnes Noble, um, and Noble and independent stores. And, but you're right. Independent stores are actually doing really well. I mean, we have, you know, for Mike, we have a series of book signings coming up. Um, Bookends is the, is the one in New Jersey, the a, a huge event there. They actually just, they place an order directly with us. Today, actually, they've sold so many tickets, it's going to be like standing room only. So, you know, places like Bookends in New Jersey and other independent bookstores, they're they're still, you know, they're still doing well. I've heard of a a couple kind of stalwarts who have just been around since, you know, like the 60s have recently, very recently gone out of business, which is obviously a shame. Um, You know, Amazon has pushed out, you know, countless retailers, not just in in books, but in everything. Um, But that's just, you know... Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, that's just the way that people purchase nowadays. Um, but we still, it's still important to us and to our authors for physical placement in brick and mortar stores.
0: Here's a great question that one of the authors emailed into me to ask you. Um, and she writes, What rights do authors retain over their work? And how about uh, subsidiary rights, like foreign oh. rights? film and TV? How is all that managed? I, I would assume it's different for you than, again, the big five publishers, but can you speak to that a little bit about yeah, the, it's, the rights that authors retain?
1: Yep. Very simple answer. All of them. They own all rights to anything. If you publish your book with us and Simon and & Schuster comes in and offers you a eight-figure advance for your book and they want to publish it, you have every right to pull it from us at any point in time with Really? No, you don't, you don't, there doesn't need to be a reason. Um, You own the right. We, you know, you give us temporary rights to publish your intellectual property, um, but it still remains your intellectual property. All rights are yours. So, you know, you mentioned foreign rights. So sometimes we do have, you know, especially in English speaking countries, Australia, Australia, you know the UK. Um, we do have a, some of our military titles do really well in like Austria and Germany as well. Even the English speaking versions, um, right. and and we will have other countries who will reach out for those to to purchase those rights, and they're always surprised when we say, "Well, we as the publisher, we don't even have those rights. The author has those rights, but here's what we'll do: we'll help facilitate with the author, and so we say to." You know, Jason Van Camp, the author of Deliver Discomfort. Hey, um, in actually Poland was what, what was what who uh so a country, a distributor in Poland wanted the rights to deliver discomfort. And so we helped him negotiate a fair price for a Polish distributor and publisher um to buy the rights to his book. Um, we've had people who do like, you know, who have had um, production companies, kids, kids' authors who have had production companies interested in doing cartoons about their book. Again, they own all rights to that. We get we get none of that. We we'll, you know we love it when that happens. We're happy to help facilitate. We don't get anything out of it aside from a real happy author who's going to sell more books because now their their cute kids book now has a you know a, a TV show on Netflix or something like that. So yeah, uh,
0: that'll be huge for you guys, right? If, if yeah. uh, you know somebody makes a, a kids TV show out of one of your children's books, that's the best commercial of all to help sell books.
1: Exactly. And so there, there's someone that we work with in Hollywood who he's an agent, but also works for a production company who is, you know, periodically paying us, Hey, what do you have down the pike? You know, what do you have coming up that, that we could be you know, potentially interested in? He's more interested in, um, uh, in our nonfiction or ballot side. Um, but yeah, we, we'd love to help facilitate that whenever we can for the reason that you just gave but our authors maintain all rights. They get all proceeds from any of those additional formats or subsidiaries.
0: And that's different than, I would assume, the the big top five publishers, the Random House or Simon & Schuster. Authors should really look through those contracts carefully if they get an offer from one of those big publishers, because you could lose your film and TV rights, your foreign rights with other publishers, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't you know talk to, to obviously every contract, but that certainly is something that they if they think there's a chance of that that they're going to want to hold on to um, it's something that authors can probably negotiate with a uh, with the New York house but if you know unless you're a prince harry or someone like that it, you don't have a you know you're not in a great bargaining position they're going to you know, they're going to they're going to take with both hands if if they possibly can again they're making a significant investment in in your work and they need to make sure that they're going to be duly compensated
0: One other question for you, and that's about this super hot topic in the last six to nine months, and that is AI, artificial intelligence, and how that's changing or has potential to change all sorts of things, including writing. What are your thoughts on how AI is going to affect what authors do, how publishers work? I I know you don't have a crystal ball there, but I'm curious to get your take on AI.
1: Yeah, right now the only way it's affected us is people are asking us about it. Um <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't eight? use All anything right. AI related. Um, it, you know, obviously as a writer, I'm philosophically against it for for writing. Um just and that's just me personally. Um I think that's just natural. I don't who wants anything to come in that could potentially replace them yeah, um, right now. I don't think that it can. Um, it's it, it's just right now there are certainly it can't emote like a human can. And there the, the English language, there's a, certainly a formula for how to write um, from a cadence and syllables and sentence structure and all those things that that AI has but it doesn't have when to break those rules. And I, to me, breaking those rules is what gives an author and a story voice and emotion and value and meaning. Um, it's not to say that AI couldn't, you ev- you know, eventually do those things. I'm sure it can once people realize that, but, um, in the, you know, for the, for the short term, it's, it has not affected us in any way, shape or form. Um, you know i've heard of other i've even seen you know see ads on instagram like you know have ai write your book in 30 minutes or or whatever um i haven't heard of any success stories with that it's certainly nothing that we would that we would entertain i don't see us ever entertaining it so hopefully it doesn't put us all out of business and uh, eventually take over the world but
0: <laughs> <laughs> well now as a writer and you talked about how you uh, I the ghostwriter for the situations book, for example. And I know you, you did the same for the late Aaron Carter, the the teen idol. Um, do you use personally, do you use AI as a, uh, you know, a first draft kind of thing or in any way when you're writing or you totally don't use it at all?
1: No, 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 absolutely not. I'm trying to think of what an analogy would be like a baseball player with steroids, but that actually helps a baseball player. No, I've, I've been, I think once on Bing, I went into like Chat GPT and asked it to tell a joke or something like that. But that is the the most that I have used AI. I personally, I've been doing this for a long time. I have my process down. Um, I would. I don't see a time where I will ever use any piece of AI for. certainly for not for anything that I write. No.
0: All right. Fair enough. Andy Simmons, the publisher and CEO of Ballast Books and their children's book imprint Blue Balloon Books. If people want to find out more about what you guys do, if they want to get specific submission guidelines, I would imagine it's all on one of your websites. But can you point people there so I don't get it wrong?
1: Sure. Yeah. So there's, you know, uh, submission buttons on both BallastBooks.com and BlueBalloonBooks.com. Um, you could always email us queries at info at BallastBooks.com. Um, heck if you want to email me directly, I don't mind Andy at ballastbooks.com. Um, and eventually someone will, will be able to see your, your, uh, your submission, your query, your proposal, whatever it is that you have your book idea, the back of a napkin with a book idea. We, we take it in all formats. As I said, as long as it's, uh, you know, an interesting story from, a, you know, an author with something to gain, um, we'd love to hear from you.
0: You get a lot of these, I'm sure. So it, uh, I would say you need uh, to be patient if somebody reaches out. And, and how long does it usually take for you to get back to folks? Depends how excited we are about the query. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honest answer and I'll take it. All right. Fair enough. That's Andy Simmons. What do you think? Do you think, I uh, think there's a book in me somewhere, Andy? Could I do this? You personally? Yeah. Oh, I, I, We never had this
1: conversation. I think that you would be a wonderful, but you're right. I think everybody should be an author, but I think that you have a wonderful story. You've built a wonderful business and brand. Um, You know, I know a little bit about, you know, your background in radio and West Virginia. And I I think that you'd have, you'd make for a fascinating subject and write a fascinating book. So I hope that when you do it, you'll, you'll want to
0: work with us. You'll be my first call. Thanks. I appreciate your time today. That's Andy Simmons, my friend who's the head of Ballast Books, And Blue Balloon Books, great publishers, great people. If you'd like to find out more, visit them online. And thank you for listening to us online. It's the Big Time Talker podcast brought to you by Speaker Match. Fresh episodes every Tuesday. We hope you'll subscribe. In the meantime, for my friend Andy Simmons, this is Burke Allen in Washington, D.C. Now go out and make it a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.